Good morning, everybody. Happy 4th of July weekend. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on, for our Sunday morning services. If we've not met yet in person, maybe you've been following us online and we haven't had a chance to meet face to face. Uh, my name is JP. I'm the senior pastor here at Pomerado Christian Church. And I just want to thank you and welcome you and honor you for joining us for our service today. And uh, for those of us who you've called Pomerano Christian Church your home for many years, um, it's so good to be able to still see your names on the chat and still connect uh, this Sunday morning. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and we are going to be concluding this week our series uh, called Colossians Lessons from House Arrest. And as Paul wrote this when he was in house arrest um, in Rome, uh, to the Church of Colossae, uh, there have been plenty of lessons for us as we've been in a season with the pandemic of um, social distancing and quarantine and what can feel at times uh, like house arrest. And there's just been some uh, really great things for us to learn, and we look forward to what God has in store for us to learn today. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to see what God has for each and every one of us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for each and every person who um, is watching right now, who hears my voice. God, I pray that they know um, how much you love them, how much they matter to you. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would just speak to each and every one of us. Lord, may I decrease, may you increase, and may, Lord, you just um, help us all to know what it is you want us to learn, to speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. We're going to go to the end of the book there. So Colossians 4, 7 through 18. So um, as uh, you turn there, um, or if you're online, you could switch over to the Bible tab if, the, uh, if it gets too distracting to use the, um, uh, the chat function. Uh, but you can go ahead and turn there to Colossians 4, chapter 7. And um, earlier this week, um, as we've been home, uh, the girls were starting to read some Berenstein Bears books that actually Art and Linda Gresham donated to us. So thank you, Art and Linda. We're reading them all the time. Um, and one of the things, one of the ones they talked about um, had the rhyme that many of us know the rhyme about when it comes to uh, the idea of what the church, right? And so there's hand motions with it. Uh, and so you can feel free to hand motion along if you want. But my hands aren't as good at this as they used to be, but that's okay. So you do the whole thing where it's like, you know, that... You know, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the doors and see all the people, right? We, we know that pretty well, and um, it's a very simple rhyme, but the girls were doing that back and forth, and they were adding those different things. And so it reminded me of something that we um, have been talking about a lot um, in general as, as our church, but specifically in this season, about the idea that the church isn't just the building or the steeple. Right? In fact, our main point today talks about it this way. And it says that, um, we're as we're talking about church being a team sport, uh, the title is a team sport. And the main point is that a church is a gathering of people, not a building and the steeple. Following Jesus is a team sport. That we, we want to be reminded of the fact that church isn't just about where we go, it's not the location but it's much more about God working in us and through us. In fact, the word church in the New Testament, um, many of you know, some of you may not, um, is this idea of the word ekklesia. And the word in the Greek, ekklesia, um, specifically referred to um, a gathering. And it, it was a specific gathering. as one in which if there was um, a, a community of people and the leaders of the people needed to have a gathering, you know, something, an issue came up um, or there was uh, something they needed to discuss, 
uh, they would they would blow a trumpet or they blow a horn, and the people who were part of that gathering, the ecclesia, the leaders, would step up and step out and go to the meeting to address whatever was going on. And they called this that they were the called out ones, that when the call came out through a trumpet or through a horn, they would be the ones, oh, that's me, I'm called out, and I'm gonna go gather, assemble, and see what's going on. And so that's the word that in the New Testament we see is referred to as the church. It's the ecclesia. It's we are the called out ones that we know that God has called us and we are called to make a change in this world. That we're people who are plugged into the people and the purpose of the church, that we are changed by God to make a change in this world, and that we're called to witness to who God is through his our words and our actions. So we share our faith with our words and actions, and also we serve the world. See, it's this idea of being called out. So again, the church is a gathering of people. That gathering can be happening right now in your home because the church isn't on Stone Canyon. The church is where God's people are gathering together to worship him, to learn from him, to be um, devoted to prayer, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, as we see in Acts chapter 2, that that from my home to yours, we are experiencing a gathering, an online gathering that is still church. And so that's the first part of the main point. That's the church is a gathering of people, not a building, it's steeple. But the next part is where we're going to emphasize our sermon today is that following Jesus is a team sport. It's not meant to be done alone. When I was thinking about this sermon this week, a cartoon came, uh, one of the old Looney Tune cartoons um, with Bugs Bunny specifically came to mind, and it's one called Baseball Bugs. And in Baseball Bugs, if you can see the picture there, it's a story of uh, Bugs Bunny is watching this baseball game, and uh, there's this team called the Gorillas, and they're these really big, strong men. Uh, you can tell that you know, at the time, health wasn't what they were focused on because they were like playing baseball with like huge cigars in their mouths. And, you know, um, it was from a, an older time. And so they were talking about how this team was just, the, the gorillas were destroying the other team. It was like 95 runs to zero. And so it's obviously, you know, way insane. Well, Bugs Bunny like kind of pops out from the ground and he's eating a carrot and he's talking to the, the gorillas like, I could beat you all by myself and you're nothing. Da, da, da. And all of a sudden, one of the gorilla members, uh, he just comes over and he gives Bugs Bunny a uniform for the opposing team and he's basically like, prove it. And so uh, Bugs Bunny, next thing you see, you, you see him uh, getting ready to pitch and then the announcer, like with that classic like 40s, uh, 50s announcer voice, um, you know, just starts to talk about the lineup, talks about who's on Bugs Bunny's team. And here's what he says. He says, all right, playing first base, we have Bugs Bunny. Second base is Bugs Bunny. Third base is Bugs Bunny. Shortstop, Bugs Bunny. Pitching is Bugs Bunny. Catcher's Bugs Bunny. Left field's Bugs Bunny. Center field's Bugs Bunny. And right field's Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny versus the gorillas. Like, he goes through the whole thing. And so it illustrated this idea to me that, you know, Bugs Bunny goes out, and because it's a cartoon, and because Bugs Bunny's the hero, somehow, some way, Bugs Bunny's able to pitch the ball and be fast enough to catch the ball that he just pitched. He's able to field every ball. He's able to hit every ball. And somehow, with this miraculous last-minute catch where he, the ball is hit out of the stadium by one of the gorilla players, and he, Bugs Bunny runs out of the stadium, and he takes a little trolley, and he climbs up a building and makes the catch, that somehow Bugs Bunny wins this game 96 runs to 95. And of course, it's, it's just ridiculous, but uh, it's like eight minutes long, so it's fun to watch. But it reminded me of it because so often, the way that Bugs Bunny played that team sport solo by himself is a humorous, but, but it's sometimes sadly accurate picture 
of how often we try to live our lives following Jesus by ourselves. That we need a team around us. We need people around us. And we need to be the team to other people. Because following Jesus is a team sport. Now, to be clear, when it comes to uh, a right relationship with Jesus, that's something that each one of us has to do individually. So just because Steph and I love Jesus doesn't mean that Shaylin and Elise are automatically going to go to heaven. It means that they need to make that decision. And they both prayed when they were three, year old, three years old uh, to, lead, uh, to ask Christ into their heart. Shaylin did it when she was three. And then when, on Elise's third birthday, uh, Shaylin wanted to lead Elise to the prayer, which was just beautiful moment. Um, but it's this idea that each person has to go and have that relationship with God individually, that each one has to confess our sins. Each of us individually have to ask Jesus to come into our hearts, to be the Lord and the leader of our lives and the savior from our sins. And when we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, then we're saved. That's an individual. That's something that has to happen one-on-one -on -one with God. But following Jesus, there's a reason why I didn't say believing in Jesus. Following Jesus is a team sport. So let's look at Colossians chapter four, because in this section, we're gonna look at the team. And Paul, you know, this is the last 11 verses, verses seven through 18. And in these verses are a bunch of names that we don't really know. We don't know all the stories. And if you were reading this uh, passage, you'd probably get to, you know, Colossians 3, uh, or Colossians 1, 2, 3, then you read the beginning part of 4. Last week, we talked about YBH, like the really practical things that we can do. And then you hit this section called Final Greetings in my Bible, and it's just, he's talking to people. And you could almost kind of check out a little bit, but instead of checking out immensely, not engaging, let's really check out the stories of these people and how we could find ourselves in our story, and hear their stories, and also what it is that God might have for us to encourage us to surround ourselves with a godly team. So I'm going to read the whole section together, um, or I'm going to read the whole section rather, and uh, then we'll kind of go bits and pieces and, and hear some of the stories of the people mentioned. So this is from Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a fellow minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my coworkers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn must read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So we see here over, you know, about 10 or so names that are mentioned uh, specifically, and we don't, we don't know all their stories. So let's start to look at the team that Paul is referring to and some of the types of people that we ought to have in order to have following Jesus as a team sport, people we ought to have who come alongside us in the same way. 
So the first point there is that our team will have people who have been faithful in walking with us. People who have been faithful in walking with us. You see the word faithful used at least a couple times. You see it referring to Tychicus in verse 7, that he's a faithful minister. You see it referring to uh, Onesimus in verse 9, that he is a faithful and dear brother. But you also see it through the actions of some of the other people as well. So let's just take a, f a few moments to look at the different names, share a little bit about what we know from their story, and then also apply that to what it means to have people who are faithful in walking with us. So Tychicus is the first one that uh, we see mentioned here, that Tychicus was someone that was a Christian. Um, he was Jewish, as we saw, but he was a, became a Christian uh, from Asia, as we see from Acts uh, chapter 20, verse 4. And he was someone who was with Paul in Rome until the very end. Um, and so we see, as he's referenced even in 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter um, to Timothy, um, at the, near the end of his life, that he talks about Tychicus and how he just sent him off to... to um, uh, to do ministry, but Tychicus was with him all the way near the end. And, and we also see this idea that Paul knew that he was, that Tychicus was faithful enough to be able to handle the task of communicating and delivering this letter to the church in Colossae, as well as the church at Laodicea. And we see this because he said that he's the one that's going to bring the good news and then he's going to bring this letter. And so Tychicus, as Louis Giglio, I was reading about or watching a, a message about this section. He talked about how Tychicus was someone that he didn't know that in his traveler's bag, his messenger's bag, that as he was going to Colossae, that those, that letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians that we have here would eventually become scripture. He didn't know that it would be scripture. And yet Paul knew that he entrusted, if I think, who do I want to send on this trip that is vitally important to encourage the Colossians? I want to send Tychicus. And he sends him out. And that also means that God entrusted Tychicus to be able to bring this uh, to Colossae. And so he's someone that we look at as was entrusted and faithful to walk alongside Paul to the point where then Paul knew he could entrust him with uh, something incredibly important. And when I think about this example, one of the people I think of in, in my life is my friend Nick. Nick is someone that I was on staff with at my previous church for many years. Um, our senior pastor would uh, had a talk he gave to our staff in 2008, talking about the importance for um, moral authority to, to live lives with integrity, and he was sharing with the whole staff. And one of his points was to find someone with whom you can build an accountability relationship with. And so I've shared uh, pictures of, or stories of Nick a little bit here and there, um, but he's someone that he and I started meeting in 2008, and we met consistently for years. We still talk on the phone um, now, uh, pray for one another, encourage one another. But he's someone that's walked alongside me in my life with ups and downs and times of frustration or confusion and celebration as well. Um, and so uh, he's just been a dear, dear friend. And he's someone that we entrust, Steph and I have entrusted, that um, you know, if anything were to happen to us, that we, just as Tychicus was entrusted with this letter that would become scripture, vitally important to Paul, that we have trust Nick and his wife Lori with our girls, which is vitally important to us. And so, you know, I think about Nick as an example of someone who is just a faithful friend with whom we can tr give great levels of trust um, and know that he'll take care of things. And so that's an example kind of what like Tychicus was to Paul. 
We also see Aristarchus. Aristarchus um, is mentioned in uh, verse 10 as being a fellow prisoner. And so he also was someone that was arrested. He was someone that was actually seized by the mob. If you read Acts chapter 19, there was a mob that was occurring within Ephesus. And Aristarchus was a Christian, he became a Christian from Macedonia, um, specifically from Thessalonica. And he was seized by the mob in Ephesus. And until the mob got broken up, he was one of the ones, along with someone named Gaius, that were in trouble, right? That they were being, uh, he was so well known to follow Jesus that when people knew that they wanted to create a mob or create some drama, Aristarchus was one of the ones that they grabbed. He also was someone that was on uh, Paul's missionary journey, um, also listed in Acts 20, verse 4. And then he's also was on the ship that was um, from Caesarea towards Rome that Paul was on that eventually got shipwrecked. Um, and so he was, you know, he was faithful in walking alongside Paul as well. Then we see uh, the man named Jesus Justice, who verse 11, we don't know as much about him, um, but we do know, I mean, if nothing else, we see that he says, Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. And these, including Aristarchus um, and a few others, and Tychicus and a few others, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. So we may not know anything else about Jesus' justice, except he was faithful. He was a comfort to Paul uh, during his time of house arrest. Then we're going to jump ahead a little bit to verse 14, and Paul talks about his dear friend, Luke. Now, Luke is the man who um, wrote the book of the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And you'll see it, uh, you know, partially through the book of Acts when it starts saying Paul and Barnabas or, or um, Peter, like it starts to talk in the third person, just saying what happened. But then there's a moment in which you see whenever Paul's mentioned the journey, it says we went to this place and we went on this boat and we were part of this journey and we experienced this together. That we was Luke, who was a doctor, who was a first-rate historian, just keeping track of everything. You know, it's much more encouraging. You know, you always hear the joke about how um, doctors, sometimes when they write prescriptions, it's like no one can actually read their handwriting. You're like, well, I wish they had nicer handwriting because I hope I'm getting the right prescription or whatever. But this idea of Luke was someone who, he was clear with what he was writing. He wrote a detailed story of the Gospels of Jesus Christ and Luke, and then also a detailed story of what, how God worked through the uh, book of Acts. But we see this idea that he was throughout the journey and he um, is likely the only Gentile, the only non-Jewish person, because we see he's later on um, verse 14, which is um, people who weren't Jews. Um, he's the only Gentile to write and author a book or books of the Bible. And so he's just got an incredible, um, incredible place in history there. And he was faithful and he walked with Paul throughout so many of those things that it really was Paul and Luke. It was we going through this together. So he was faithful in that. And so those are just a few of the examples of how for us, we need to find in our lives who are people who have been faithful, who've seen us in our ups and our downs and our celebration and our frustration. Who are the people who have been faithful to point us towards God when others around us might despair or, or might encourage us elsewhere? Who are the people that have had an impact in our lives because they've just walked with us. They didn't run ahead of us and tell them to come up. They didn't stop us and you know make us so that we have to wait. They just walked, did life with us. And who are those people? Who are the people on, their, on your team, your close-knit community that you can say have been those people? Because when we talk about team, yes, we want to have relationships with people who don't know Jesus. 
we absolutely need to and want to and, and to show God's love to them. But our closest team members, the people with whom we share our deepest situations with, it would be so beneficial if there are people who are Christians who know, we know can be faithful in walking these things with us. So in addition to that, we're going to look at a few, two more groups of names here. And this one is the idea of our team should have people who have forgiven us and been forgiven by us. That when we think about people who have forgiven us and been forgiven by us, that the reason oftentimes something uh, needs to be forgiven is it's a close relationship. Someone did something and it separated that relationship. And there's a lot of hurt and anger and frustration um, and wounds and pain. And so what ends up happening is that when forgiveness does happen and prayerfully it happens and then reconciliation on top of that, well, then the relationship can be even stronger than it was before because we recognize that we need to be forgiven and we can extend forgiveness in the same way that we owe Christ way more for all of our sins and he's forgiven us. And so therefore we too can forgive others. And so let's look at a couple examples here in the story because the first one uh, that we're going to look at is, uh, is from verse um, 10. And he refers to, his, uh, to Mark, who's the cousin of Barnabas. And then there's this parenthetical statement within the parentheses. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Why is that an important part for us to look at? Is that Mark is also known as John Mark. Um, and so John Mark is, uh, he's the, go the gospel writer, the gospel of Mark. This is the man who wrote that. So within Paul's inner circle, just here, within these few verses, we see that two out of the four gospel writers were closely re related and closely knit with Paul. And so, you know, this stories, we could just pass by these names, but if we don't acknowledge Mark as a gospel writer and Luke as the gospel writer, then we're missing just how big of an impact the people listed here have really had on the early faith and on our faith extended. But we look at Mark, and the reason that there's this um, emphasis of the cousin of Barnabas is that it specifically relates to a story that happened um, around Acts 13, 14 or so, when Paul and Barnabas um, were missionaries, and Barnabas wanted to bring his cousin, John Mark, with them. And they go on the missionary journey, and at some point, we don't fully know what happened, but at some point, um, Mark deserted Paul and Barnabas, and he went back home and left Paul and Barnabas to do the ministry. Well, when the next missionary journey came around, Barnabas wanted to bring Mark alongside again, John Mark. And Paul said, no, I'm not, I do not want him here. He deserted us. He, he can't come. I can't trust him. He's not someone who has been faithful to me and, and faithful to the mission. And so what happens is that Barnabas stays with his cousin Mark. And Paul separates. And so this relationship of Paul and Barnabas ends up dividing over John Mark because Barnabas wanted to stick with him. Paul didn't think he could trust him. And so it's amazing because even though that relationship being broken is, is not a good thing, we do see how God even works for the good even when there's division or conflict. He can still use that for his good because instead of one team going to be a missionary um, in, in one place, Paul and Barnabas split. Paul goes to one place. Barnabas with John Mark goes somewhere else and the gospel is still able to be spread despite our human brokenness and relationship issues. And so we see this all mentioned because then at some point, as we see here, Mark is someone who 
Paul goes out of his way to say, if you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. He's saying, if he comes to you, he's not deserting me again. He's not bailing on me. We've re reconnected and we have another, a close relationship again. In fact, in 2 Timothy, he talks about how Mark has been a, a comfort for him, that he is useful for ministry. And so there's been this forgiveness that has taken place between Paul, who was really hurt, and John Mark, and this forgiveness has taken place and their relationship is stronger and the impact is incredibly powerful. And that's gone over years of hurt becomes these victories that we see at the end in relationships of when forgiveness and reconciliation reigns. And so that signals us to the next person we're gonna talk about because John Mark and, and Paul, that's a story of a forgiveness that's taken place and is um, a means that they could be on the same team closely together. This next example is one in which the forgiveness hasn't taken place yet, and one person who wronged the other is having to face that, that past. So this is the story of Onesimus. Onesimus, in verse 9, is said, um, a faithful and dear brother who is one of you. Now, to give the context, I would encourage you after this today, or after you listen, or throughout the week, uh, read the book of Philemon. Philemon's one chapter, um, and Philemon is the book that Paul wrote um, and was sent along with Tychicus and Onesimus and was written to a man named Philemon who was um, a godly man within this church of Colossae. The reason Paul wrote the book to Philemon, if you've not read it or if it's been a while, is that Onesimus, this man that we're referring to as a faithful and dear brother, Onesimus was one of Paul's slaves. And again, just to be clear, the slavery in the, in the New Testament or, or in history is different than the deplorable history of slavery in our country, as well as the deplorable acts of human trafficking that still exists today. Back then, it was the idea of someone who was in great debt and would um, commit to trying to work off their debt. So they were paid wages and they were able to buy their freedom and they were able to um, be married and have lives and, and just would work um, as, as an indentured servant or as a slave, which is very different than you know, the history of stealing people or kidnapping people from their homeland and then forcing them into labor. So, so it is different. But Onesimus was a slave to Philemon. And we find out in Philemon 18 or 19 that what, was, what we think happened is that Philemon must have stolen something from, excuse me, Onesimus must have stolen something from Philemon. And then Onesimus fled and deserted and left Philemon and, gave, and fled to Rome. While in Rome, Onesimus ended up giving his life to Jesus through the ministry of Paul. And in fact, he came to know Paul closely enough that Paul calls him a faithful and dear brother. And picture Philemon reading this. He, he sees Onesimus, the slave that he had that ran away, that stole from him, most likely stole from him. He sees him coming back into Colossae. And then he reads a letter that says that he's faithful and a dear brother. And Philemon thinks he's anything but faithful. He left and he deserted me. And now you're asking me to receive him as a dear brother, Paul, I don't understand. And that's where the book of Philemon comes. And so, but we see this idea that John Mark deserted Paul and there became forgiveness and they were able to see one another for, um, encourage one another, comfort one another and see each other in the, in the end of their lives. And now Onesimus fled away from Philemon and Onesimus, picture him walking back 
And with every step, he knows he's entering back into Colossae, a place where he wronged someone, a place where he could be thrown in jail or harmed for what he did. And yet he's walking back and he's delivering these letters to encourage the church of Colossae and also to ask for the forgiveness of Philemon. That we need to have people in our lives who've forgiven us, who know how we've fallen short and forgiven us, and that we have forgiven too. Because again, it reminds us that just like Jesus, Father on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That when we are able to forgive and show forgiveness, it shows that we recognize how much God has forgiven us. And now I know that people watching this, that there are some of you who have um, experienced um, incredibly painful abuse or um, incredibly hurtful words from people you trusted and you, and you loved. And so I'm not saying that forgiveness is easy. I'm not saying it's simple. I am saying that we need to learn to forgive and to be forgiven just as Christ forgave us. So we need people on our team who've forgiven us and been forgiven by us. Now we're gonna look at um, another example here that our team should have people who serve as our biggest fans through prayer, support, and encouragement. Now, um, I'm not a very big Seattle Seahawks fan, um, like at all. Like I grew up a Niners fan, and so I don't like uh, the Seahawks um, as a team. I'm sure they're nice people, many of them, I don't know. Um, but uh, if you follow the NFL, um, you know that the Seahawks have what they call the 12th man, which they actually got from Texas A&M, but you know, even, even they still need to steal something from someone else. It's fine. We're fine. Um, but no, it's this idea of the 12th man, and there's 11 players on the field, and so the 12th man is the idea that you, are, as the fans, are on our team. That um, I, just, I, I also follow uh, Everton Football Club, which is uh, in the Premier League in uh, England, and it's the only like live sports I can actually follow right now. So um, as you can tell, this whole sermon is like sports themed because I miss sports. Um, but uh, Everton, you know, they're playing live. They just put out a new uniform um, or, or as they call it, a kit. And they, uh, they're, one of their hashtags is the idea of more than 11. The idea that following Everton is more than just being part of the 11 people, like soccer players on the field, or again, if you're in England, the 11 football players on the pitch. See, I'm learning. Um, it's, it's this idea of there's more than that. So it's the fans, the people who support are part of the team. And we see here there's the example through Epaphras. Epaphras is the man that we learned in the early part of our series. He's the one that gave his life to the Lord in, a, in the church of Ephesus. And then he walked over and he started churches in Colossae. And then according to the text here, we think that he likely started a church in Laodicea and Hierapolis, as verse 13 refers to. And so he was someone that was praying for them. Now, he wasn't with them still. He's with Paul, but he's praying for them. In fact, verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I assure, or excuse me, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. And this idea of working hard and um, uh, wrestling is this idea of agony. He's agonizing over you in prayer. And so for us, we need people who are praying for us and for whom we pray that we can give prayer support and encouragement. Now, full disclosure, um, I don't always uh, like to share this part. Uh, this right now, what you're watching is the second time that I filmed this sermon this week. 
uh, I filmed it yesterday, and as I was um, finishing it up, I got it all ready, and I went over to turn off the camera, the, to turn off the record button, and realized that I never turned on the record button. So I had preached, you know, to a screen of myself, and it wasn't recorded. Um, and so I was just so discouraged and frustrated. And, you know, Steph was encouraging me. Um, Shaylin just kept saying, Tata, I'm sorry that that happened to you and giving me encouragement. Um, and Elise was being sweet Elise. And then, you know, I was just so down and just bummed and there's a lot going on. I'm frustrated about it. There's a lot of work. And I got a text from a friend of mine and he just said, you know, hey, I'm praying for you today. I hope you're having an amazing day. And, um, you know, how can I pray for you? And it's just this, it's a small text, right? It's just something small. And it was such an encouragement to me um, just to know that God had put me and my difficulty and my frustrating day um, on the heart of someone that I, I know and I love and I appreciate. And he uh, responded and reached out and said, you know, I'm praying for you. I hope you're doing well. See, knowing that there are people on our team who are praying for us, who are agonizing for us, who are coming alongside us is something that is so important. And if we go back to the Bugs Bunny example earlier, we can't have, we can't be our own prayer support and our own encouragement and the people who have forgiven ourselves and been forgiven by ourselves and the ones who have been faithful. We need a team to surround us. And we see all the names listed here um, and that Paul had a team and we need that team too. Now, there's a couple more points down there. So I'm going to go through these a little bit more quickly, but um, we have a team, but we need to know who our opponents are. What is it that we're fighting against? Because we don't want to make the mistake of thinking that, you know, our team is Pomerado Christian Church and other churches are the opponents. That is absolutely false and, and one that is honestly dangerous and divisive for the church as a whole. I'm not saying we have that feeling, but it can feel like, oh, that church is doing this, they're better, or that church is doing this, and we're better, or, or whatever it is. And it's so easy for us to miss sight of the fact, or lose sight of the fact, rather, that we're on the same team. That churches that follow Jesus and preach the Bible and love God and love others, whether they're a different denomination, whether they're from another country, whether they um, have a different uh, you know, idea of how to do church, we're on the same team. So those aren't our opponents. Our opponents... Um, as we will see here, I'm basing this, this answer off of um, Matthew 13 and the parable of the sower, because our op opponents are Satan, shallowness, and worry. Now, those aren't the only ones, right? Like we could think of others, but in the parable of the sower, we see how as the sower puts seed out into the field, that the first one is, rock, is on the road and the bird comes in and takes the seed before it has a chance. And that's referred to as Satan in Matthew 13. That, the evil one comes in and he steals the word um, and the seed of the word before it can take root. The second one is this idea that it's on, it's on rocky soil. Um, and so it's not the road, it's on rocky soil, but there's a, a little layer of soil on top. So it receives the growth quickly. But because there's a layer of rock underneath it, it cannot go deeper. So it's a shallow seed. It's a shallow sprouting that once you know things happen, it, it loses it. It loses the, the seed. So for people who have shallowness in their faith are ones that receive it with joy. They're excited about it, but they don't 
come to relationship with God, they think it's just coming on a Sunday morning to a building, or they think that it's just you know doing one thing or another. They don't recognize that it means having a relationship with God where his roots grow deep. And as Psalm 1 talks about, that we want to be oaks of righteousness that dwell from the waters of who God is and dwell from the waters to grow. We don't want to have shallowness either. We don't want to take our walk with God alone or take it um, flippantly. And then thirdly, the idea of worry. The last part of the sower, um, the last bad uh, soil, excuse me, is the one that is choked out by the thorns, by the worries of this world. And so we see that all three of these are are enemies or opponents for us, for us coming in right relationship with God, us continuing in a right relationship with God, and thus in us sharing what right relationship with God looks like to others. And so we recognize that those are some of the opponents. Now, yes, there's p- several other ones. There's, you know, materialism or popularity or temptation. I mean, all of them are, are, are difficult, right? But they can all fall under some of these examples here. But the reason I'm bringing this up specifically is that there's a name in here that we just see very little about, but it gives us reason to look at this. Because um, we see in verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. All we hear about Demas is that he sends greetings. In the book of Philemon, we see Demas's name, and he's listed amongst Luke and Aristarchus. So he's listed among godly people too. And so we look at him, and just based on this, we see, okay, he's someone who's close to Paul. He must have been faithful, and he must have been someone that's close and part of his team. But then we see a sad story from 2 Timothy 4.10, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you here. It says, For Demas... Because he loved this world, has deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica. That Paul, at the end of his life, talks about how Demas left the faith and deserted him. And so it's this, it's this wound that happens. That, and why did Demas leave? Because he loved this world. Because Satan confused him to think that what was part of this world is more important than part of eternity with God, that there may have been some shallowness. We don't know that for sure, um, but there may have been, you know, worries or there may have been something going on, but the love of the world is what can cause us to lose sight of our love for God. And you can see here that this was a, a painful word or a painful moment for Paul because it didn't just say he left and went somewhere else. He, 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 gave, he didn't just give an action retelling of what happened. Oh, he left and went to Thessalonica. What did he say? He said, he deserted me, deserted me. That's a, that's a pain word. That's a, that's a word of woundedness, of heartache. And so the opponent we have are Satan and shallowness, worry, and countless other things. But we see that in this list of demons, and people have lost um, faith, and people have left us and deserted us, and it hurts. You know, um, recently my phone was having a bunch of issues. It was doing this thing where um, the other storage in my iPhone started to take up, like, all of my phone. So I had to delete apps. I was checking my pictures to try to figure out what to do. I eventually had to restore it and thankfully I had a good backup so it was okay. But as I was going through those pictures, I started looking at pictures from uh, small groups that Steph and I led of high school students uh, back in like 2007, 2008, 2009 and seeing the faces of kids who we welcomed into our home, we prayed with, we laughed with, we ate with um, and really you know did life with for a long time and you know then just started recognizing that we're still friends on Facebook or Instagram and many of them, you know, they don't, they, they don't follow Jesus anymore. And it's just such a, it's so heartache, uh, so filled with heartache, excuse me. 
Um, and it's just hard. You know, it's hard when you love people and you pray for people, you come alongside people, you lead people, you support people, and, and then they make a choice to, to not follow God anymore. And it's just, um, there's a weight to that. And I don't feel like they deserted me. So that level of pain that I can emphasize with Paul saying that Demas had deserted him and left, but it just, it hurts. And we all know people that we love and we've prayed for, we've um, spent time with, we've invested in, and they don't follow Jesus anymore. And it hurts. And it's okay for us to acknowledge that, that there are several of you who are, um, have grown children, grown adults, and you know they don't follow Jesus and it hurts because you've tried and we maybe try to beat ourselves up and think, well, if I had been better, if I had done this, but that's not our burden to bear. We want to just keep lifting them up in prayer to keep coming alongside them, to let them know we're there and that we want to just be able to still share with them in the midst of this heartache and that difficulty to be a light for them. But we recognize that even in this section, yeah, there's two gospel writers in these names listed, but there's also a man who eventually would fall away from the Lord. And so there's heartache there and he would desert Paul. Now we also see that they refer to the church at Laodicea and, that, um, and to Nympha and the church in her house. And that again, just reminds us of the fact that our church are, is a gathering of people. It is not the house. It is not the building and steeple um, where they met. It was the people who were gathered together, which goes back to our main point. And then we also see this idea that there is a letter written to the Laodicean church. And this is one that, you know, is written by Paul, but for whatever reason, it got lost to history. And so the Holy Spirit knows and has known which books, or which, um, what would make it into scripture. So it doesn't mean that in Laodicean, the Laodicean letter that's lost to history, it doesn't mean that Paul was saying something inaccurate or anything bad, but we know and we trust that what we have here is God breathed. And so what's meant to be in the Bible is in the Bible. And what wasn't meant to be in the Bible wasn't and isn't. And so we don't worry about the fact that we don't have that, um, that letter. But, and then in verse 17, the last person I want to mention is Archippus, who just says, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. And some of the commentators I read, one thinks that Archippus may have become the, the leader of the church, the ministry leader um, of the church in Colossae. Uh, some think that he was Philemon. We mentioned him earlier, Philemon's son. We're, we're not sure. But essentially, Paul is speaking to another ministry leader, and he's just saying, complete the ministry you've received, giving him courage and breathing life to him when things were tough. May you allow me to breathe life into you, to complete the ministry that God has called you to lead. Now that ministry may be a ministry at a church. It may be a role within the church, but it may be your family. It may be the way you run your business. It may be the way, the way that you reach out to your friends and your classmates in middle school or, or high school or college. It may be the way that you are reaching out to your neighbors. It may be something that's outside of the church and how you want to minister to, to people um, through life choices, right? Or minister to people who have been in prison or minister to people by giving them food. I mean, whatever the ministry is, when God has put something on our hearts, it's difficult sometimes and we get discouraged sometimes. And so we need people to just be able to speak life into us and say, see to it that you complete the ministry because there are things that you've been created here for and, and God is not done working in you and through you. And so may you receive that encouragement today and may you go forth in boldness and courage to do whatever God has called you to do.
So as we close, um, I want to just do a couple of YBH moments, yes but how moments. We talked about this last week as practical applications. So as you look at the three members of the teams, the different types of people, here's some practical things you can do. One, think of a few people who have been faithful and walking alongside you. Think about them. The Lord will bring a name or a couple names. Reach out to them this week and thank them. Honor them and, and let them know how much it's meant to you to have them along your, or have them with you on your side. Call them, write them a letter, um, text them, whatever you need to do, but, but reach out to them and thank them. Think of someone that you need to forgive or for wh from whom you need to ask forgiveness. Build that bridge this week. Make that phone call. Ask the question. Maybe someone you need to forgive has passed away, and so you need a journal, and you need to go somewhere to process all of this. But build the bridge so forgiveness can get out of your heart and be offered up into God. Um, that we could, uh, when I was needed to forgive people in the past, I had a mentor who talked about picturing a hook, and we have all these weights that we put on um, this hook, and it's our, what we're refusing to forgive. And he says, what we need to do is take that weight off of our hook and we put it onto God's hook because he can withstand it and it frees us as well. Think of someone that you can support through prayer and encouragement to speak a godly word or to pray for someone and pray for them this week. Ask them, what can I pray for you today about? How can I support you? Or send them a verse that you, when you speak to God about them and maybe a verse comes to mind through the Holy Spirit, send them the verse, say, I thought of you today. I um, hope this encourages you. Do something practical so that you can be, um, surround yourself with the right team. Now the last part here is if you have a team and you have an opponent, we need to know what the win is. We need to know what does it look like for us to win in this area. And of course the, the win is for us to draw closer to the Lord, to have a right relationship with God. It's for us not to burn out. It's for us to not try to think that the church is a building and steeple. Let's remember it's a gathering of people. The win is for us to see Jesus and following him as a team sport. But I want to specifically talk about here is this idea that um, there's a very specific win that I want to hit on. This idea that when we get to this section in scripture, these names may not matter to us. We, we could skim through this and we don't know who these people are unless if we take a deep dive like we did today. These names may not matter to us, but every name represents a person, and every person matters to God. See, if we believe that every name that we read here is a person, and every person matters to God, we read their stories, not to just glaze through something at the end, but we want to pay attention and see and find out more about them, and it gives us the ability to see other people in our lives, and not just gloss over someone or to ignore someone, but to remember how much they matter to God. That there's never a person that you've met or laid eyes on that God did not create as a loving father, that Jesus did not die for on the cross, and that the Holy Spirit does not want to draw closer unto himself for God's glory. So who are we to hold back, right? And so let's give an example of this. Can you think right now of a situation, something that you have seen countless times in your life, no matter how old you are, you've seen this, and you experience something, and at the very end of this, there are just a bunch of names listed, and you don't know their names, you don't know their stories, you don't know much about them, um, but it's consistent. It's really easy for us to check out um, and to just not pay attention. And for me, when I thought of this, and I hope this is what you're thinking of too, is I think about the credits at the end of a movie. 
right? Like you go and you watch this movie and maybe you laugh, maybe you cried, maybe you were scared. Um, and at the end of the movie, you, you see, you know, the credits and it says, you know, cast, and then it starts to go through the crew. And it's so easy for us to just, you know, leave. And so until, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe made it popular to put, you know, mid-credit scenes and post-credit scenes and mid-post-credit scenes and post-post scenes, you know. Until that happened, we, most of us wouldn't normally stay and watch all the credits to a movie. However, um, each of those people are important to that movie, right? Now, there's some jokes about this. Uh, there's some that are kind of playful. Uh, one of my movies growing up, on my ninth birthday, I watched uh, Jurassic Park, which, by the way, nine was a little young for me to watch that, but that's okay. Um, I remember being scared and closing my ears and trying to, not, anyways. But there's a joke on the internet because one of the credits that you see um, at the end of the, the film is Dinosaur Supervisor. And it says, Dinosaur Supervisor was Phil Tippett. And so the joke on the internet was like, one job, Phil. You had one job. People died because you weren't supervising the dinosaurs correctly. And of course, what they mean is his role was to make sure that the mechanical dinosaurs were taken care of. But the joke is, Phil, where were you on the job? Because people died and the park was in ruin and it's just a horrible situation, Phil. You didn't do your job. But, so we could joke about that. And we also see this one. If you've uh, read about this, that there's several Disney movies um, and at least eight, probably more by now, where if you go through all the credits, you start to see normal things like training, digital art services, creative legacy, classic projects. But if you look inside the squared box, you see one that says caffeination and you see the man Carlos Benavides. Well, Carlos Benavides is in the movie credits because he's the one that provided coffee and like ran the coffee shop for all the people that were on the movie in Disney in order to be able to be a part of. So that's a really big job. Like, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but you know, he's providing coffee for everybody. That's a big deal. So, you know, he's in several movies. If you watch uh, Tangled, if you watch uh, Meet the Robinsons, if you watch um, Wreck-It Ralph, I think, like there's several of them where if you were to go through the credits, you could search Caffeination and you would see Carlos Benavides. But so those are kind of playful examples, right, of movie credits and how we just kind of gloss over it. But what I want to mention here is that every person that's on this screen and every person in every movie credit mattered to that movie, to that story. Whether their role is something we understand or not, what, what does it really mean to have creative legacy? I don't know, but you know what I do know? I know that Roger Gold was a part of the creative legacy team for this movie. And I also know that if I was Roger Gold, Gould, and I was the one watching this movie, while most people are probably leaving during the credits, I am absolutely staying to the very end to see my name on that screen to say, my role may have been small, I was part of the creative legacy, I don't know, but I mattered to this movie. When we look at this story, at the end, these, these names at the end of Colossians, it's important for us to remember that each of these people matter in God's story. That you, watching me right now, matter in God's story. And so the win for us is to recognize that every person we meet matters to God. So we share our faith because lost people matter to God. We reach and we serve because hurting people matter to God. We, we grow in our own relationship because we matter to God. And we hear his voice to know how much we matter to God. We, we need to see the win. The win is that people matter to God. You matter to God. And we want to make sure that we remember that.
in the midst of everything going on. It's easy to be in such a divisive nation and to make other people the us, and, or we're the us and they're the them. But the people we might characterize or categorize as them wrongfully are still people who matter to God. And we see how much we all matter to God. But how Jesus lived a perfect life, he died a horrible death on the cross, and he was raised to new life. So that the extension, the invitation to have a right relationship with him is one that we can all have one-on-one -on -one with God to confess that he is Lord. So we take communion in a few moments as a reminder and as a tangible reminder of how much we matter to God that he sent Jesus, that God so loved the world, that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and I pray that each person who hears my voice right now knows how much they matter to you. I pray if there's anyone who doesn't know you yet, Lord, that you would stir within them, uh, Holy Spirit, so that they would pray a prayer of just asking, God, forgive me, please, for all the wrong things I've done. I take off all the sins that were on my hook, and I put them on yours. I confess that Jesus is Lord, and I receive the gift of his life, death, and resurrection so that I may have eternal life. And my life is yours now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray that there's some of you that prayed that prayer right now and that communion's gonna mean something a little bit more special to you today. So for those of you who've already prayed that prayer and have lived for God for years, let's take the communion now to remind us of what Jesus did, to remind us of how much he loves you, to remind us of how much you matter to him. So please feel free to partake in the bread and the cup as you feel led. If you need prayer for anything, please do not hesitate to click the live prayer button and to let us know. Um, please know that you are. You are prayed for. You are cared for. You are loved. You matter to God. And if there are people in your life that you need to surround yourself with as part of a team, we would love to come alongside you and see what we can do to help you find that team together. Know that um, this week we're going to have a Faith and Prejudice event through Facebook that we're partnering with them. And so, um, Mary and Carol are going to help uh, lead this event and so, or be a part of leading the discussion. So if you're interested in that, we're going to give you information for that um, very, very soon, or you should already see it online, actually. Uh, so please be aware of that if it's something you want to be partake in um, every night this week around 5 o'clock um, for about an hour or so. And then also we're going to start a brand new series based on pa Pastor Miles McPherson's book, The Third Option. We're going to start that next Sunday. So 
Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you this week. May he make his face shine upon you. May he turn his face towards you and may he grant you his peace. Thank you so much for coming. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday morning.